Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 71, Lifeline. Earlier this week, I had a panic attack. I can talk about this matter-of-factly now, in a way that I couldn't have imagined a year ago. I can analyze the sequence of events that led the breaker in my brain to flip. I can discern the time and place where I defaulted to old neural pathways for expediency reasons, and I can roll my eyes at the simple truths-slash-untruths I uttered, talking to Randy after he took me home. But most of all, I am grateful that my brain has a new fail-safe switch that makes me stop, take stock, and be mindful of what is going on in my life. There has been a lot going on in the last few weeks. We are attempting to finish renovations to the office ahead of our early December open house at the same time as Randy is getting busier with clients and I am trying to stay caught up on my freelance work and master spinner marking. I have been taking some tentative steps towards planning our wedding, though I still have no real conception of what I want it to look like, trusting a decision about the venue to start defining some of the other pieces. I've also been working at making some items for my new guild's Christmas sale, though that has gone less well than I would have liked. I've had to give up on a few things simply due to time constraints and technical issues. I am finishing up a spinning article at the same time as I have proposed two others, been part of a grant application for a spinning art installation in Saskatchewan, and am nearly an Ashford Spinning Tools distributor once I put in my first order. I have been obsessively checking the weather forecast to see if we can safely go get firewood on a weekend soon before the real rainy season starts. I'm sorting through piles of Christmas supplies that are not mine to see if there are any I like before donating the rest starting to think ahead to the holiday season and what it will mean for me this year. And did I mention that my nephew wants a knit balaclava to go with his Edmonton Oilers fingerless mittens that I may be contemplating trying to get done before Christmas? And let's not talk about the daily question of what is for dinner and how many loads of laundry we have to do tonight and whether or not we should get a new washer and dryer to replace the old ones that came with the house. If that sounds like a little much for even a healthy person to handle... Imagine being one with some health concerns, both physical and mental. And that was my error. That is why I had a panic attack. And that is why I've had to take several steps back and start again. Mental health recovery is a process. It is very little like healing a broken bone or a sprained ankle. There is no cast for a brain, no crutches for thoughts, no staying off of it until it feels better for emotions. What there is, is physiotherapy for the mind. There is practicing proper movements, strengthening muscles to work in certain ways, loosening off other muscles that shouldn't be behaving in others, making the body work the way it was intended to before the injury, whenever the injury took place. But for the brain, unlike the body, from the moment of injury, you have to start rehabilitation. Which means, if we were to take this metaphor a little further, that you're trying to learn to walk properly while your ankle still might not weight bear and hurts with every step. It's difficult and exhausting in the beginning, and then becomes easier, and then, just like one might do once the ankle no longer hurts, 
you start forgetting to do your exercises because you think you're fine. But an injury like a sprained ankle isn't healed when the pain stops, any more than an injury to the brain is, just because I can function at a relatively normal level again. And that is why the reminder of my limitations and of the need to continually practice my brain's new skills is so useful. In knitting, especially complicated lace knitting, there is a handy little thing called a lifeline. It is a length of smooth yarn or cord that is threaded through a row of stitches that the knitter knows is correct. That way, if something goes wrong further on in the pattern, either a mistake in knitting or dropped stitches, the knitter can rip back to the lifeline, to a place they know is right and is safely kept there, and try again. When I first started knitting lace, I used lifelines all the time. When I teach knitting, especially to someone who's just starting out with lace, I tell them to use them liberally. But for myself, now that I am much more experienced at lace, I tend to live dangerously and haven't used a lifeline in a project for several years. I had a pang of regret at that decision when I realized I'd made three errors in one row of my wedding shawl. At that point, the rows were approaching 550 stitches, and I had to think hard about whether I wanted to tink back over a thousand stitches to fix them. I decided not to, but I may rethink that decision when I have a chance over the next day or two to spread out the lace and see if those three errors are noticeable. If they are not, I will keep knitting. If they are, then I will curse my luck and try to weave in a lifeline after the fact. In the ongoing recovery from my stress injury, I am now in the process of starting again from a lifeline. I've put several into my life over the last 10 months, milestones that I keep and hold on to as firm foundation, a place to start from that I know is right and safe. And the goalposts keep moving forward. I won't ever find myself in the same place I was right after the injury, but I wonder sometimes what the end of the journey looks like. Because rehabilitating a brain is a bit like knitting a never-ending mystery shawl. Each section, each pattern, is beautiful and lovely, but you're just not quite sure what the designer is going to throw at you next, if it's going to cause you trouble, and how it's going to fit into the whole. And so, because this is a new skill for me, I'm going to keep putting in lifelines. And if something goes wrong, at least I know where I can start from again. And maybe this next try, I can be successful. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. I do most of my spinning at the office, so since we're in the middle of renovations and things things are still sort of piled into my spinning area, I've had a little less time to spin than I might have liked. But, you know, we're getting really close. We finished the sanding this weekend of, the, of all the mud and oh my god, the dust was crazy. We're going to be chasing that stuff around for the next month. But we got most of it cleaned up yesterday and so we should be okay to prime and paint if we can ever find the time to do that. But yeah, it's coming, and I'm really looking forward to it being done and my workspace being put back together so that I can, so that I can spin again. I do have a couple projects on my wheels, but I just haven't really had much chance to sit down to them, just every once in a while. And I am still working on the supported spindle skein because I need to get that off to ply in the next, oh, week so that it gets there on time. 
but that's coming. I did manage to play with the drum carter though, and you know, I must never have had my old one set up right because, it, you know, it actually works and it's actually fun. I've made some really beautiful little bats. This particular drum carter only seems to hold about 20 to 23 grams nicely before it starts to stuff gets stuck on the liquor in and and uh, and all of that but you know they're they're cute little bats and I've just been having fun playing with some color and a bit of texture and I think that'll go really well for my class this coming up here on the weekend and I've I've also been you know considering how quickly you can you know card 20 grams with a uh, with a drum carter so because I have the three flea sister process and and because I am I have to put in my first order to to solidify my Ashford distributorship. I think I'm going to invest in one for myself. I think that's going to be pretty pretty good investment for the next few years of my life. Uh, speaking of which, I yes, I am now an Ashford distributor. So that means anybody in Canada who needs anything, just let me know if you if you do or or support your local Ashford distributor. That's totally cool too. I decided to become a distributor just because it gives me a few more options as a teacher in terms of getting supplies and being able to support my students locally and abroad. So that's that's was my reasoning. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it will turn into. Uh, you know, I I I've I've heard people who are just, you know, distributors and and you know, don't do much with it and then other people it becomes a career. So don't know. Don't know what it'll turn into for me, but but that's uh, that's a little piece of what's going on in my life as well. So yeah, unfortunately, that's all I have to report in the Fiber Week segment. I'm really going to make a plan for some experiments. I did propose two articles to uh, one to spin off and one to ply, both of which would be experiments of some kind. So we'll see if they take them. If they do, then I definitely have to prioritize, you know, getting my space back together and, and being able to do those experiments. So, but I'm going to hold off on that, see if they take them. And, and then uh, if they don't, then I'll do the experiment anyway, because it, it still sounds like a lot of fun. So let's move on to level four and the novelty yarns. You have to spin three, at least you did when I took level four, a spiral yarn, a tufted yarn, and a boucle, which is, you know, not the most amount of novelty yarns you have to spin for the program. Now, me and novelty yarns, we've had this discussion before. It's not something I normally do. I tend to spin yarns that can be used for the things I like to knit, like lace or that kind of thing. Smooth yarns, two to three ply, depending on what I'm trying to accomplish, relatively fine. That said, there is something to be said for novelty yarns, and I'm starting to, you know, be more and more open to the idea of using novelty yarns as a way to improve my strengths as a spinner. So let's talk about these three. Spiral. A spiral yarn is about being consistent with inconsistent tension in your ply. So you allow one yarn, one singles, to wrap around the other in a consistent way. But, and, and that just means that you have an inconsistent ply tension. So you're holding one 
straight away from the orifice and the other at an angle and you're allowing them to ply together that way. But you still, if you're a proper spiral yarn, that inconsistency needs to be consistent. And that takes practice. And that's where I lost marks on this skein, was the inconsistency in my inconsistent ply tension. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about. Okay, so if I have to do this and I have to be consistent, then I need to practice that, you know, and that, and that does take practice. So there's my recommendation there. A tufted yarn. Lost marks on this one too, but I blame the instructions in the manual because we actually went back over those instructions and I think we moved this into level five because I remember rewriting these instructions. And I really do blame the instructions in the manual because the tufts need to be inserted perpendicular to the axis of your yarn. So if your yarns are, are parallel to the floor, your tufts need to come in vertical to the floor. And I just never, the instructions weren't clear on that in the book. And when I came time to do this yarn, I was like, how are they going to stay in if I don't just put them in, have a little bit sticking out at one end and then thread the rest through and have a little bit sticking out on the other end. And so that's how I did it. But that was not the way it was supposed to be. So you can insert tufts, you, you insert tufts perpendicular in between the two plies or three or however many, but two, two generally. And so they stick out on both sides and you want it caught in one or two wraps. So that kind of stays in there and that's a tufted yarn. So I lost marks on that again, but we fixed that in the new curriculum. All's good. Boucle. Sarah Anderson's Spinner's Book of Yarn Designs has the best instructions for boucle and all different kinds of boucle. My issue with my boucle was not that I did not understand the concept or that I didn't, you know, didn't have a boucle. It was that I didn't spin enough of my wrap singles for 10 yards. Your wrap singles takes a lot of yardage. So let's just go over a boucle again. You have a core. You have uh, wrapping singles, and then you have a binding singles. So three plies. So, uh, and what I did here was fine, a lot of fine adult mohair and then uh, tussa silk. And I believe my tussa silk was the uh, binder, not the core. So I handed in six yards of my boucle and it's really you know looking at it after the fact it's not bad at all but I was very generous with my wrap singles and that is why I only had it in six, six yards but it's really loopy and beautifully boucle so so what's the answer here the answer here is to spin a lot more of your wrap singles than you think you possibly might need. In fact, spin three times as much. Wraps take a lot of yardage. A lot. And uh, and I've done this uh, in, in recent history too. I was attempting to spin a three-color boucle for the leftovers from my level three class because they challenged me to spin a novelty yarn. And yes, again, my wraps were you know, I mean, I only had as much fiber as I had, but they were less boucle-y. 
than, uh, than I might have otherwise because I didn't have enough of them. So spend a lot of it. And just honestly, I, I could tell you how to do it. You know, the, you know, spin singles one way, spin singles another. Sarah's book uh, is the best. Just take it out from the library. If you have it in your collection, go to it. Follow those instructions. They're, they're, that's just the easiest way to do it. But I did get a decent mark. I mean, I lost marks because I handed in six yards, but I got a decent mark on this skein because it's actually boucle. And uh, it's it's really pretty. Looking looking at it now, I'm like, oh wow, that is a really nice skein of boucle. <laughs> but see, I am capable. I am capable of spinning novelty yarns. I just once they're spun, I just don't know what to do with them. So that should be my challenge in the future: is to figure out what to do with novelty yarns. But uh, that's that's for way in the future. I've got so much I want to accomplish in the first place. Anyhow, novelty yarns for level four. Not too difficult, but again, both of or all three of these work towards increasing skills, in particular aspects of spinning that you need to have control of to actually create proper and consistent novelty yarns. Next up in level four is a blending exercise, and I'm just going to leave it at that. In the two weeks before the next episode, we're doing a bit of traveling right before the next episode and, you know, renovations and all of that jazz. So I'm not making any promises as to what I'm going to accomplish, but I really do hope to accomplish something. Fiber Notes. I finished chart five of the wedding shawl and started chart six. But like I mentioned in my essay, uh, as I was knitting the last row of chart five, I realized that I had made three errors in the second last row, pardon row of chart five. And at the time I was sure it was gonna be okay. I mean, the, the stitch count was the same. It was just the, there was a couple of extra yarn overs instead of three plain knit stitches. And I didn't think it would be so bad. And now that I have finished the first two rows of chart six, I am don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's still going to, you know, be part of the galloping horse rule. If you can't see the error from the back of a galloping horse, it's fine. But I really want to take a look at it again before I keep going. Because in chart six, you're going from 550 to 770 stitches, and I don't want to get too far into that and then realize that, oh my god, they're glaring errors, and I really need to take it back. So I'm going to double check. I'm going to post a picture on my Facebook page and see what everyone else's opinions are. I'm going to form my own opinion first, of course, but um, I want to see what everybody else thinks about it as well. And I did say when I started chart six that I would set a date for the wedding and I am close. I've kind of narrowed it down to two weekends in August. I'm attempting to find a venue and that will probably determine which of those weekends it's going to be. So August, August will be the wedding unless something completely unforeseen happens, like no venues are available. In which case, we'll figure something else out. 
But I did say, I did say I would set the date when I started chart six. And I have started chart six, so I am working on it. Oh, man, the whole wedding thing. It's just a, a thing. But I'll get it done. It's fine. And I have learned that if I need to, I will ask for help from people around me. Because I obviously can't do it all on my own. See, I'm learning. It is possible to teach an old dog new tricks. I'm also almost through the thumb gusset on my hedgerow fingerless mittens. They are really pretty in the semi-solid. You know, I, I didn't, I knew the pattern was pretty when I did it for my nephew. But that was a highly variegated yarn. It's showing up quite a bit more in this uh, in this semi-solid and, and it just looks really really nice so probably another four or five rows before I pull the stitches off for the thumb and then one mitten will be pretty close to finished so we'll see what happens there and as I also mentioned in the essay my nephew wants a balaclava to go along with his fingerless mittens and I did consider trying to get it done for Christmas. I've kind of just put that on the back burner because life, the universe, and everything. I'm certainly not going to promise it. But I did find a pattern, and I sent him a picture, and yes, that is indeed what he would like. And as, as luck would have it, it's actually a pattern by a Danish designer because apparently they're very popular in Denmark. So it, it's for fingering weight. I think it will go really, uh, really quickly because it's stockinette in the round. I just haven't started it yet. But we are traveling not next week, but the week after back to Alberta for a few days. And as I realized from my last trip to Alberta, I only need to take one project with me. So if I got this one ready and started it, then I might be able to make some progress on it in the few days we're away. So we'll see. I may decide just to keep working on the hedgerow mittens or I may decide to just take his balaclava with me. We'll find out. I'm also getting ready to teach my first felting class. There are two sessions, so it's kind of a, a dry run, quote unquote, uh, on this coming Saturday. And you know, I'd like to make some ornaments for myself as well. Uh, beyond the, the three little samples that I've made. Uh, but, you know, we have to just see what what is uh, capable in the next little while. You know, I, like I said in the essay too, I've been sorting through some Christmas supplies that we found that our, our roommate had just left when she moved. And so I'm sorting through and, you know, deciding what I want to keep, what I don't. And uh, there's a couple of artificial Christmas trees as well. One is quite large. I'm 99% sure we don't have enough ornaments for that. So I'd like to make some, you know, and that was one of the things I really loved about my parents' Christmas tree is that over the years got to the point where, where almost all of the ornaments on it were handmade, probably about 90%. And then the other 10% were purchased or gifted ornaments that had significant, you know, sentimental value. And that's kind of what I'd like to have here. There's some little things that I can make. I, I found, when I was unpacking, I found a little plastic bag of, of things left over from craft dinner. If I, have I ever talked about craft dinner on the podcast? Uh, not K-R, 
C-R-A-F-T, C-R-A-F-T. It's a uh, Christmas tradition that my family and I started a long, long, long time ago. Oh, well over 20 years, I think. I'm 40. No, we started when I was a kid. Let's call that 30 years. What we would do is we would get together with a family who basically became our adopted aunts and uncles and cousins. And we would do some manner of Christmas craft on uh, some weekend in November. And then sit down and have a really nice Danish lunch. So it was a craft dinner. (laughs) So once I moved to Edmonton, there were a few years where I couldn't go to craft dinner. So my parents, if it was possible, would save a sample of the craft for me and, you know, give it to me the next time they saw me. And so I have a whole package of these little things that I haven't quite done yet. And so, you know, that would be fun to just sort of go over those and and see if any of them could be accomplished before Christmas. And then I could hang those on my tree. So, yeah, but a lot depends on if they can be done quickly and with, you know, very little brain power because we are working quite a bit. So we'll see what happens and I'll, you know, go through those. And But I know that the felted ornaments, they're, they're fast, they're easy, they just take several days to dry and yeah, it'll work out. So I am making progress on things, which is good and... Yeah, it's just a it's just a matter of plugging away. I'm definitely because I'm on the last chart, and I know that doesn't mean I'm almost on the wedding shawl because there's a lot of stitches left in it. But that it's on being on that last chart feels really good. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much I can accomplish over the next couple weeks. Cranking on the fiber side. All the parts are here for the auto knitter. They're all installed. They're all working. And then I tried to do something I thought was simple. Someone in one of the Facebook groups had posted that they had made a 30 stitch scarf on a 60 stitch cylinder with a particular type of yarn and very loose tension, and then that just kitchenered the ends together to make an infinity scarf. And I thought, ah, that looks simple. I just have to make a tube and do some kitchenering. No problem. Yeah, okay, problem. And I don't know enough about these machines yet to know what the problem was. But the cranking was really difficult, and uh, there was just skipped stitches all the time. And if I had to make a relatively informed guess... It was that it's a cotton acrylic blend, so there's not a lot of give in the yarn. And I bought the big hook needles, and so I was having trouble getting over top of the hooks when the stitches closed. Also, the yarn was a little fuzzy, so I think that was why it was skipping stitches. So, that didn't work out, so I'm on to plan B for learning how to you know, work this machine. And that is probably back to making tubes out of wool yarn, because wool has stretch, and then starting to make socks, which seems odd that I would start to make socks to learn how to use a sock machine. Because, you know, they're, I mean, it's not terribly complicated, all the instructions are in there, but 
you know, I wanted to make a tube and it didn't work out. <laughs> this is anyway. But you know, the, the new parts do make it easier. So I'm going to keep at it, you know, and, and it's just, it will just be a matter of figuring it out and, and maybe buying a manual or I keep reading all of these, you know, ideas and stuff on, on uh, Facebook and, you know, learning, I'm still learning by osmosis from these people. So I'm going to keep doing that. And then when I have time, try and make a pair, try and make a sock. Let's just try and make a sock properly. By the wayside. And I've made a little bit more progress on the accolade. Just a little bit more straight stitch. Not, not a lot, but some. And so I'm starting to work my way across and it, it does go fast when you sit down to it. I just haven't had a ton of time to do that. So it's, it'll just be a matter of sitting down. And, and here's the other problem. I still really hate the chart. And now it's getting dark at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And the light that I have available to me, the, the chart is hard enough to see in natural light. In artificial light, it's almost impossible to discern some of the differences between the colors. So again, I know mistakes are coming. And, and so, you know, we get home, it's dark. I don't even want to try. And I, and I figured out the four different colors in the, in this part of the project, you know, the, this, this, the straight stitch part. So I could actually sit down and do this, but you know, there's lots of other things to accomplish too. So it's kind of been more waiting for whatever time I have on the weekends when it is daylight, because it, it, it even, it is even easier to see the fabric when it's natural light outside. So I have a feeling that this winter, my progress is going to be a little slow on the accolade just because of that factor. But it's still progress, you know, it's still getting done. And yes, you know, I would love to be able to start something else, but I know, I know I want to finish this first. So it's coming, it's coming. And even if it's by increments, it will still get done. Thank you for joining me for episode 71. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 72 on December 1st, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.